Get ready for an all-new Hardline segment. It's time to step into the Snake Pit. And now, with something completely over the top, the host and star of the Snake Pit, Snake. Sponsors! American Leak Detection. Oh, looky, looky. Thank you very much. Well, a dear friend of mine sent me this saying, you know, you're in radio, right? Yeah. You like sports, right? Yeah. Check, check. Well, you would really like this story. And it's a story that I had no idea about. And we are coming on the one, are coming upon the 100 year anniversary of it. Did you know that Friday, this coming Friday, Friday, July the 2nd, 1921 marks the 100-year anniversary of the first sports broadcast of a radio, or I guess radio broadcast of a sports event. Dang. Where Jack Dempsey, I pro- you probably could have guessed it was either baseball or, or, boxing. or boxing, yes, where Jack Dempsey knocked out the Frenchman George Carpentier uh, in a makeshift boxing arena in Jersey City with 90,000 people. A 90,000-person wow. makeshift arena was built for this. This is how big boxing was back then. Dude. Yeah. Say, put them up. And, but the, the, the headline of this is not that boxing was big back then, is that they figured out a way with this new little invention called radio, how to, put, how to put it on there and broadcast it to the masses. Uh, almost, uh, let's see, 250,000 plus people were listening to this, which was a huge, huge number back then. How far did it reach? Uh, let's see. The total area, 125,000 square miles from Maine to Maryland and as far west as Ohio. So a huge chunk of the United States. No doubt. Uh, from back then. And maybe if you were on a boat. And you're exactly right. It was broadcast to people at sea, which imagine, you know, we're sports obsessed now. People were sports obsessed back then, just different sports. But imagine for the first time ever, you were able to listen to something. You were able to be there. Amazing. When for the last 50 years or however long sports have been around, you know, longer than that. It also birthed. It was all, it was about newspapers. Yeah. It also birthed the play by play guy. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that as well. The birth of the play-by-play guy was born what? 100 years ago. And all right, and I mean, how else would you broadcast if it weren't radio? You're not, uh, you're not going to be able to see or hear anything. I mean, right. they're not doing a play-by-play for the people in the audience, right? Right. So this is the first is play-by-play it. guy, and it's done with. You talk about an asterisk. This is done with a huge asterisk beside its name because the guy that was doing play-by-play wasn't even there. So it gets really, really crazy. So go back to 1920 when radio was, radio was military. So I, I don't know why I always, I thought radio was a thing that even like 1905, people were sitting around their homes listening to radio. But that wasn't the case. Back in 1920, uh, radios were being sold. What do you think a radio would cost in 1920 to a home radio? RCA decided let's, Figure out a way to get these World War One things where people were using it to communicate with each other, and we can 
figure out a way to broadcast it, not just as a communication piece between two parties, but as a broadcast With entity. News and entertainment. What would we charge people, though? What do you think, Bob? I, I can't even imagine what a household income would be. Um, $50, but in 1920, does that mean I just bid $500 or $5,000? i am going to say 300 bucks. $75 okay. for a radio. Think about have that, you though. you done the inflation calculator on how much that is? Because that's a lot of money, I, I have bet. not. RCA figured that if 7% of America's 15 million households bought one, that would mean $75 million for RCA. So they were just trying to make this thing just you know a microwave. But you're trying to sell radios, but there's nothing on the radio. No, there's nothing on there. So back in 1920, uh, there was a station in Pittsburgh that was cr- uh, granted the country's first commercial broadcast license. $1,000 radio, KDKA. $1,000 today. Yes, KDKA. You had to be incredibly wealthy to afford a radio. This guy came up with the concept of playing music at specified times twice a week for people in Pittsburgh. So twice a week you got it, and they announced the presidential election. There wasn't a lot of programming on. So somehow you had to figure out when it came on, and then you had to be there at the right moment. And, oh, listen to that. That was a great song. Well, no, wait till next week. Was Hannity on? We'll hear on? another one. What? Was Hannity on? <laughs> That's why I'm buying I'll tell you right now. So then this also birthed the first program director. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Hey, why don't we put music on every day? Right. What? The same seven What are you, songs. a witch? So you got this fight set up, all right? You have two premier fighters in Jack Dempsey and the French dude. <laughs> and you've got this company out there that says, we're pushing radios. We're going to sell these radios now. Now, how do we combine the two? This sounds like the plot to Hot Rod, but go on. It kind of does, right? (laughs) Yes. So they got this guy named Tex Rickard, who was in New... I don't know if he was from Texas, but I asked Bob this a couple of breaks ago. He basically ran Madison Square Garden. Yes. And to make sure people would show up in Madison Square Garden, he put a hockey team together. Called the Texas Rangers. Tex apostrophe S Rangers. One of the original six. Which turned into the New York Rangers. How about that? They were called the Texas Rangers. Did you know the New York Rangers were named after Texas Rangers? I did not. Well, now you do. I didn't know either. We've learned a lot today. So this guy was a heavy-duty promoter. And, <laughs> they really have, if you think about it. And they were trying to figure out it what... It started the, with Van Gundy. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> the weirdest band ever. They had Van to, Gundy! They had to find a transmitter strong enough to pump out a signal because they wanted it to be broadcast to all these people. And so who do they reach out to? The military. This just sounds so renegade. They reach out to the Secretary of the Navy, FDR who would be president a decade later, or less than a decade later, that they would test this transmitter that was built for the Navy. They would test it out for him. They consented, and then they had to figure out where to put this transmitter. They needed a structure high enough at the stadium to hold an antenna. So they used the train station. This is going to be... The the fight was in New Jersey. They were going to use the train station in Hoboken, where a 400-foot tower had been erected a few years earlier. They were going to stick the transmitter on top of that. Dang. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. What do they do? How do they? What do they stick the other end of the cord to? They didn't have anything to stick it to. They ran the wire to a clock tower, 
like you saw in Back to the Future. That sure. is no lie. <laughs> so, so there's World War One Bill Geiger up there just yes! wiring things up. <laughs> yes. I mean, imagine that. So they got it all in there. There's no real license you need or you just Locked you just down. put it. Yeah. <laughs> Potted meat. What are you watching, Bill? Clock tower. Fight. So, you just, you just, I mean, you need permission and figure out a way to, to broadcast it. You didn't jump through hoops. You just had to figure out a way to do it. So, they got it all set up. And around 1.30 p.m., as the fighters entered the ring, there was a guy uh, that... Was real, I mean, and all these guys were really into radio that were like the early versions of radios. Like they were nerds that were putting all this together. And to read this story, it's like, oh my God, there were radio nerds way back then in 1920, ham radio guys. Mm-hmm. So there was this guy, last name of White, who had practice play by play, which there wasn't a term for it, by shadow boxing in the mirror, his own mirror, and describing the action. I'm going to hit you here, and then I hit you here. To the moon. So he's, hey? so he's at the fight, but there's no way to, there's no, there's nothing there at the fight to broadcast. The broadcast was at the train station. Wow. So what, what happened was this play-by-play guy, or whatever he was known as back then, he relayed his descriptions over the telephone to a clerk at the train station. <laughs> who then typed up his reports and handed them to another man who was an RCA employee, radio employee, remember the sale of the sell of radio, and an amateur radio enthusiast, he read the descriptions into the transmitter at the that? train station. So it was tape delayed. No one knew. Right. No it, one knew. It was like Norm's fantasy call of the horse race that in Radio time took like six minutes, but in the horse race takes like 60 seconds, right? Right. Yes, that's exactly right. So to add a little ambiance. So he was reading a script of something that happened minutes earlier. Yes. Okay. Doing his best to recreate it. Make it sound It was scratchy, as you can imagine, scratchy as hell. Now, most people that were listening didn't have their own radios, and so theaters, bars, um you know the whatever the term for uh like VFW type places where all the servicemen would go they congregated where they could you know one radio was there they sat in silence with this one radio each one of these bars or whatever and would stick it in the middle of the room they were all circled around it and they just listened was there any uh, net sound or did we just have a guy talking so i'm glad you mentioned that it was scratchy enough to where you really couldn't tell but the guy the RCA employee had a bell. Of course he and did. And they freaked out when they heard a bell ring. Yeah. Because the guy was like, Mom, we got to make this sound somewhat real. We're really there, man. And so, so the bell was basically the first fart drop. Yes. As we have been told forever and ever, what is radio? It is theater of the mind. Even back then, they were smart enough to realize we need something. Yep. Yes. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And so uh, to broadcast the action, they had set up a temporary long-wave radio station. Given the call letters WJY, it was all set up, and away the fight went. There was a knockout in four rounds. Now, here's the rub. If it would have gone longer than four rounds, no one would have heard it. Because at the radio or at the transmitter, 
um, the guy who was calling the fight. All right, the, Did the Sports Day app go down? <laughs> pretty much. He was so close to the radio tubes. So there was so much gear. I yeah. mean, think about this. And, and 19- they didn't know what they were doing. No. He was so close to the glowing radio tubes, he was blinded for days. Couldn't see a thing. <laughs> then in the final round, one of the overheating tubes exploded. Oh, no. He grabbed the base, pulled it out of its socket, searing his hands and giving him third-degree burns before inserting a new one. Dang. He Sounds had... like Ryan's fell off the ladder there. <laughs> I know. Oh, good God. <laughs> so the dude had third-degree burns, and he was blind. That called the fight, and he wasn't even there. Unreal. Yeah. So as the fight ended, the transmitter blew and was... I mean, it, it was smoking. It went out. So it was over. When the fight ended... It literally ended. And 100 years ago this Friday, that all happened. Why we're on the air right now doing this was all because of that. Hear that, Danny? Play the recording. I'd love to hear what that sounded like. Yeah, I don't think that uh, they... They didn't set up a phonograph? (laughs) Yeah. To the left. Right. Another left. I would love to hear what that play-by-play sounded like dude you talk about like uh the holy grail of radio oh my gosh yes that would be it yep that's awesome so there you go love it all right favorite snake i said that last week (laughs) it's 5 30 up next so let's look at this list of all of our fallen basketball heroes the ticket the ticket all right danny let's say that we walked there corby we walked into dan bennett's office our general manager yeah, and look, we said, "Listen." We slammed our fist on the table, mm-hmm. and we said, "We want one of these things to happen. You can pick." All right, we're giving him a choice. Yes, because this is what Howard Stern did when he went in to demand something for his new contract. Okay. All right, Dan Bennett. I want one hour taken off this show. Okay, that's demand one. Yeah. You make the show one hour shorter. Yes. Okay. There's three demands, aren't there? Yes. I don't want to work on Fridays. Yeah, four-day work week, an hour shaved off the show. Mm-hmm. Now, Stern's getting all this. He didn't have to ask for one. Right. I just want one. These are baked in. Yeah. But there's a new one. I also want five years and $500 million. <laughs> But the, what's the big one, though? What's the yeah, one that you, made everybody go nuts? Once you give me that contract, right. there's one more thing. And I want Summers off. Yeah. So you take your pick, Dan Bennett. Summers off, five years, $500 million, Fridays off, and one hour shortened of the show. Which you know, one would he bend on? <sighs> The yeah. one hour. he wouldn't bend on any of he it, but if no. gun to head, Just get out of here. Gun to head, go play. <laughs> the hour, right? What are you doing on this end of the office? <laughs> get out of here. You need to be shot down here. You're not even wearing a mask. <laughs> it, as someone who occasionally has uh, pretty pleased a boss uh, to no avail, I would say the the quickest question that comes to mind when you read that story was what did he ask for that they walked him back to this they didn't nothing they don't walk him back to anything five for 500 yeah no fridays summer's off and uh, we're not starting at 6 a.m anymore we're starting at 7 a.m and they yes to all you're saying there was no pushback at all none nope 
<laughs> Nothing. <laughs> that seems impossible. He's to, been with them how long? George. Uh, 17 years, 16 years, something like that, right? Since he left radio? Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Since he was 50 or so. And what's crazy is the claim, and this is just a trade magazine, so it might be making it up. In fact, I think they quoted Reddit, which is very similar to quoting Wikipedia in a term paper. Um, but the claim is that uh, the fans are outraged over the summers. That a 67-year-old radio guy... Who's been working tirelessly... <laughs> since he was 18... Yes. ...has committed to five more years, and they're upset that in mid-July he won't be doing fresh shows. Yeah. He doesn't care about the fans anymore. And by, Yeah, all he's about is the money. By the way, in the old Howard Stern universe, because he has ruled the world since we were all in high school. He's mm-hmm. the king of all media, Bob. There's no way he was working much in the summers in the first place. He probably had him up to like 12 weeks of vacation anyway. I think that he was a 100% workaholic, and I think to the tune of like Robert Wolanski not taking a lot of vacation or any vacation. Like uh, he was look into that. He was weird about work. Yep. Really weird. Like that's so mid July comfortable in there. The entire city of New York is gone. You're yeah. saying he was still No, nah, he had kids and stuff. They took vacations. I I know they took vacations, but I don't think that he was like I need July or anything like that. I think that he I mean, hell, I remember listening to him pretty religiously in the early nineties. Same and, here. And I you can count on one hand during the year that he was gone for a week. Yeah. He just didn't he didn't take that much time off. This is and furthermore, pretty magical if you can work this out. Furthermore, uh, vacation was fun because they would play his best stuff. Yeah. It's like the top ten every day. Right. I think, I think his wife has really chilled him out. Like he's, well, therapy as well. He's yeah, hardcore yeah. hardcore all in on therapy. And being yeah. 67. That too. <laughs> and hopefully being 67 chills most people out, I bet. Now, I will say this. The $100 million, as he's always said, whenever he A signs year. these big deals, that's for everyone. That's for Robin and Baba Bowie and all those people. Like, mm-hmm. that's not just him. Stuttering John. Is it, though? So could he live off the $70 million or whatever he takes home? Yeah, Stuttering John. Dude, think about those guys that were really working for probably nothing Beetle back Juice. in the day. Yeah, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Crackhead Bob. <laughs> They're all dead. Or a lot of them are dead, but like... uh Beetlejuice is still a pretty big deal, you know. Beetlejuice alive? is alive? I don't know, but my my son knows all about Beetlejuice. Really? Like, he's in that Hezbollah world of Instagram. Internet I assume he, I assume he's still alive. Do you Do you guys know something? Did you go I attend don't. his funeral? He just didn't seem like somebody that would live that long. No. Why? Crackhead Bob. Yeah. All right, well, well, good luck to Stern and his crew. But yeah, like Stuttering John, if he would have just stuck around, th- th- he could be making probably like five or six million a year. Making bank. They were so mean to him. And having his summers off. Yeah, they were mean to him. <laughs> <laughs> Baba Booey's still with him, right? Oh, absolutely. I bet you Baba Booey makes $15 million a year. Oh, really? Yeah. Baba Booey? He should. What's his name? Gary Belladante? Belafonte? Yeah, he should. Does he get a cut every time a moron yells his name at a golf tournament? Oh, my God. He would be the richest guy in the world. I hope so. 
Baba Booey. <laughs> All right, let's go. Look, stay ha- the ticket. 5.33. This is the hard line. Smack dab in the middle of uh, Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're having a good one. Thanks for joining us. And for the next couple of segments, we will be discussing what you're hearing. Maybe for the rest of the week. <laughs> There's a good chance because it is uh, Bob's documentary of the month. So and, excited. And he had us watch Some Kind of Monster, which Danny has seen. This is the documentary concerning Metallica, concerning uh, the making of their St. Anger album over the course of two and a half years. Yes. Three years. I'll tell you what, I haven't seen this in a while, and I really wanted to brush up. I couldn't find it anywhere. The movie? Until this, yeah. Okay. Until this morning, I realized it's on iTunes. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was, it and by was, then, it was too late, so I watched a bunch of YouTube clips. I mean, I've not seen the film. I know what's yeah. going on, but I would have loved to have brushed up. I just want to see it again, because I remember loving it when I saw it, you know, six, seven years ago. It's a $4 ago. investment. Yeah. It's 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 uh, It was on Netflix for a long time, I know, and they just took it down. That's what, Every time I searched, it said it's on Netflix, and I could not find it. You can't rent it on Amazon. But Very you can buy it on iTunes. Yes, it was on iTunes, and yeah, you can rent it or you can buy it. Um, I think it's important, though, to start at the start, which is, if you haven't seen this movie, it's worth watching, and it has nothing to do with whether or not you're into Metallica. No. Because I would not call myself a large Metallica fan, but I, I also want to stress... It really isn't about that. What it's about is a few things, and and uh, I will um, just give you my overview, and then I really want to dive into your initial maiden voyage with this thing. I think it's amazing that guys this big were willing to let this film exist because I can't think in all... now. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there are five documentaries just like this, and there are a few that are at least you would say are like it, but nothing captures super, super famous people at their most vulnerable and most... Uh, um, they're, they're at a damaged time here where the band kind of looks like it's over and breaking up and... It's it's not just their most uh, damaged, it's their most elitist as well. Oh, yeah. Holy God in heaven. Oh, yeah. Are I these mean, guys elitists? Collectively, the four members of the band are worth almost a billion dollars. Well, and that's, <laughs> and that's important because... It's so funny. That's important because uh, I always think of like metal and rap very similar in that it makes sense for a teenager... It does, it still makes sense for mid twenties, late twenties, but about the time most of us are settling down and having kids and getting married and all that, it begins to morph into a, are they, are they still making music that is sort of a diary of their life or are they still making, are they making music now? That's a diary of their life back there, and they're going back and forth. And it's fine, you know, if you're Eminem or if you're Metallica and you're in your 40s now and you're doing this, that's totally cool. But what if the curtain gets pulled back and you're at your daughter's ballet thing, and but your lyrics are still about, you know, 
the bullet that whizzed by your head or or you know the in in Hetfield's case you know waking up with some stranger next to him and he doesn't know where he is and he's hung over and you know the drugs and everything well now he's cleaned up his life why is he cleaned up his life because it was time to grow up and to stay alive because i think the lifestyle he was living often goes one of two ways where you die really young or I think you have to kind of age out of it, or you don't really get to have a family and kids for very long because well, I mean, like a family the- and kids don't put up with dad being drunk or you know OD, you know, in, in rehab all the time. Very, the- I don't think that's conducive to suburb life, and that's where he is now, right in the middle of this. So this is in oh three, oh two, oh three, oh four. I guess is when they filmed all this, and so yeah, they were probably about. 45? 42? Uh, 43? Well, I think, I think they're about 57 now. Mm-hmm. So 40. I would say 40 okay. is about right. Okay. Yeah. So, they, yeah. So two of them have little families with little bitty kids running around everywhere. And in the middle of it, this is before James Hetfield goes to rehab in the middle of this documentary. He goes to Russia. Yes. He just. And he misses and, his kid's first birthday. And, and this is what he told his wife. He came home and goes, I'm going to Russia for two weeks. Bye. Uh, but your son, his birthday, he's turning one. I got to go. I'm going to Siberia to hunt bears. Yeah. And then he comes back and tells a story about how they're in, in, a, in an ice hole or whatever after they shot a bear. And yeah, but I mean, we're in Siberia and I told the guy that my, my kid turned one. So we had shots of vodka, uh, in honor of, we toasted uh, my, yeah. my son's first birthday. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you get away? You get away with it by being worth a billion dollars. When Collectively, you, you play, whatever. James Either is worth way. around two hundred and two hundred fifty yeah. million. You yeah. tell your wife. Lars is a little bit more because. Are you enjoying yourself right now? You know, like right. uh, that's how I get to go to Russia for two weeks. Yeah, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last forever. No, no, no. Either either you update how you're living, or your wife begins to get over the fact that now you're you know she's married to a famous person and what does that take five years probably maybe where I don't know I just I I think those guys. Very similar to to many uh, rappers, and it's interesting that rap and metal sort of got huge at about the same time in the eighties, and we had never known what happens when they all get to like their sixtieth birthday and how ridiculous they would look in that lifestyle into their sixties. The thing about Metallica is, is they and I've followed these guys since their first album. And they, they did it in a way that most bands don't. Like most bands, especially now, they come out, you know about them because they have a hit. They have a song or somebody turns you on to them, but they have some type of, of relevance. Back then, this band garnered an incredible cult loyal underground following. And what they've done is they have grown with the band and remained loyal yeah. to them. So when they're, there are uh, dudes that are out there that are their age, and I would say that their their big their uh, uh, median age of their fans is probably about where they are right now. Yeah, is probably fifty to sixty. And I bet you very few of them and, and go the, as hard as they did. In no, their 20s. of course not. And they probably cut that stuff out a long long time before um, because they're not James Hetfield from Metallica. And right. He's got a lot more. <laughs> he can get away with that a lot more than you or I can. Yes, but. The thing is, is now the only way to make money in music is licensing and playing shows. Well, they still tour and they could sell out the Cotton Bowl in a heartbeat. Yep. In one second. And the I same go. people 
are going to go see them every time they come through. Yeah. Regardless of what album they put out, because they know they're going to go out there and hear, you know, For Whom the Bell Tolls and One and Blackened, and they're going to hear all of their favorite songs because they've turned into that band. They're going to play their hits because they've got them. Hits within that community, but that community is huge. So, yeah. And their merchandising, they were one, one of the bands that early on was so well ahead of the game as far as having an image and a logo that people just wanted to wear on, on, on their, on their chest. Very much like Iron Maiden. You still see Iron Maiden shirts and Eddie and all that stuff. Same thing for Metallica. There's seven year old kids. Absolutely. That are running around with freaking Metallica oh. shirts that don't have any idea. Idea what Absolutely. About. No, my daughter has one. I'm like, what are you wearing? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I don't know what they are. Their I'm branding like, it's was a cool shirt. Bob, their branding was so on point for a bunch of basically totally. teenagers that came up with these art concepts, and they're still relevant now. Absolutely. So, I, I, I get the impression though that what makes this movie so wild. There's documentaries all the time about musical groups. I'm not trying to sell anybody that there's not, but they usually tell a story about like their history or how they got here, where they came from, where they're going, how they morphed. This is none of that. This drops you into a moment in time where it appears the two alphas in this band, Lars Ulrich and uh, James Hetfield, can't stand each other anymore can't stand each other anymore they're both control freaks they both have been doing it since they're 20 and it has been very profitable for them but now one of them i think is trying to go straight and one of them is still he's he's got kids clearly uh but it's 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 more of just can you maintain a relationship like this from the time you're 20 till the time you're 60 in this lifestyle? And so I think it really works if you don't reveal your personal life to your, your fans. What made this so unique is they were more than willing to pull the curtain back and say, yeah, I go to my daughter's ballet practice now. I like doing it. I like hanging out with my kids. I like uh, living in a home and getting in my pool and uh, going to dinner with my family. And I know nobody wants to hear that from the front man of Metallica. And so there was a there's a, we were saying yesterday. I said I thought it was two twenty. Why is it two fifty? The final 30 minutes on the iTunes thing is a 10 years later kind of look back oh, at wow. some kind of monster. Love it. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's, good, but what it but there were 2 minutes in there where Headfield is like they're, like they're asking him, "Do you think this was a good decision or was this good marketing or was this smart to put this film out there?" And he said, "It saved my life and it saved the band because I finally could come to grips with this voice in my head or this or whatever it was that Metallica's fans wanted to see me going full throttle and I couldn't do that anymore. And so it's kind of ripped the band-aid off of hey, this is who we <laughs> This is who we are now. Yeah. Now we're still willing to sing those songs and and get up on the band and give you the most energetic 3 hours you've ever seen because they put on an unbelievable show. Sure, and, and it's not like the material they're writing now sounds like Ann Murray. No. They still sound like Metallica. <laughs> no, but that's I but that's the point though, Danny, is they're they're no longer writing about their life. They're writing about what they made Metallica into as much, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, I'm sure the concepts have sort of changed, but they're not, 
Yeah, they're definitely not writing about their current life right now because it's it's morphed uh, through the years. Really interesting. And then you got a extremely rare uh, drummer who doesn't sing, who kind of bosses the whole band around uh, because it's his. It's his band. Yeah. And that's weird. And then the other thing that... To set this up, and I, I want to hear uh, everything you've thought about it, Corby, with one last thing here. I, and maybe this is a whole different thing, and maybe this is a segment tomorrow. I want to know what Dave Mustaine did to make James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich think that this guy parties too much to be in our band. <laughs> like, like, what could he have been doing? You can, you can ask Dave, and he will tell you he was a tragic drunk and he was a kid these guys are all teenagers when they form this thing yeah yeah well I is mean, he clean now but even by i don't know even by headfield standards yes we gotta get this charts. guy off our i know head. there was a dog incident too where mustaine's dog bit hetfield and hetfield kicked the dog and damn near killed him and wow. then they, they went at it and i think within a day he was out of the band it was more than just alcohol yeah. It was oh, it was yeah. a huge personality conflicts as well. Yeah. Well, look, the thing that for me that, that put this over the top with Metallica is here are these dudes that are forty that are worth, you know, a billion dollars or whatever, and they can do whatever they want, um, that they're so insecure, they're so mentally just warped, all of them, that they hire a guy who is basically the fourth member of the band throughout this entire documentary. Because keep in mind they're in between bass players right now. Right. Yeah. They hire a guy to be their band coach. He's a therapist yeah. okay. that comes in. So you're thinking like the fifth guy, Phil. Fifth, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, yeah. the fourth guy is uh, Rob, 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 Rob Trio. Yeah. No, well, oh, yeah. Bob Rock, Bob Rock, and then Trio yeah. at the end. Yeah. But yeah, so they hire this guy to come in, and he is with them at all times, basically. And if the camera's on, there's the band, and there's this therapist going, now tell me, James, what mood does this put you in when Lars tells you? I'm going, what is... 40 grand a month. Dude, and it's 40 grand a month. And this is for years. This yeah. guy is with them at all times as a life coach. And I guess he'd done it before. They didn't mention which other bands he'd done this for. And maybe he, they said that he'd done it for, as, uh, uh Kirk Hammett put it, sports teams. Um, <laughs> did, did you, uh, I think that's why Jason Newstead left the band is Phil. Yes. Did you, uh, let me play that audio okay. here for you real fast because I think that's irrelevant. Jason Newstead, friend of the hardline, <laughs> left Metallica. So weird. And there's a lot here, but, uh, you'll hear him reference like, what are we doing with a therapist? Those guys. It's very good. You know, their plate is filled with many, many things, and music is just one of the things. Say bye, James. Bye, buddy. I chose not to have children and do those kind of things. My music, it, that's my children, you know. Yeah, but since I decided to do it with music, and that's what I have to fill my time with. Echo Brain is one of the projects that I've been working on for years, and now it's come to fruition. And then when it comes to a time where my main cat, James, tells me that you know, basically he couldn't be in a band with me if I did the, took this other project to this level. And after 15 years of working together and going buses and, you know, the stories, man, there is no way that this thing that I was doing could affect the monster of Metallica. I just don't see how it could. 
And so saying things like that, I, I couldn't accept that kind of um, limited. So there, so Hetfield's an absolute control freak. Lars is too, but I think Hetfield's off the charts because he's in rehab and he comes back and he can only go from like noon to four now, which mm-hmm. is sounds like the least Metallica hours of the day are noon to four, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, don't is is that about the time that I'm under the impression? Even like, you know, bands like uh, heck, uh, Bad Radio only went noon to three. Well, they you know, <laughs> well, I'm saying they would wake up and they would all get to the studio to start recording like at six at night, and then they would go until six in the morning. I mean, even uh, like Foo Fighters would do that. Sometimes. Well, this is more of he gets up, he does his recovery stuff. He was in rehab for a year. I've never heard of that before either. I mean, that dude was in it for. Has he been back? Outpatient though, right? I think so. Yeah. He's been has back. He been, oh, right? he's been back to rehab. Yeah. Yeah, like multiple times. Uh, like this didn't I, I, get him clean. No, I don't think it fully did. I, I I don't think so. As I try to remember this on the fly, I don't I don't keep up with their personal lives much anymore. Well, I know that this was about him doing Once recovery my circus stuff, magazine subscription ended, <laughs> and family stuff for in the morning. Like he would take the kids to school. He would have breakfast. He would do these family things. He would do his recovery part. And then he would do his work. And this is very typical of yeah. of a recovery schedule. Uh-huh. If you can do it. Well, which is, again, the least metal thing I ever. know. Uh, let me play the last 30 seconds of Newstead here. Big ego, big dollar guys that can't get along but have to make some kind of entity flow. So everybody else and everybody can make the money. And uh, I actually said, I think, that this is really lame and weak that we cannot get together us look the biggest heavy band of all time and the things we've been through and the decisions we've made about squillions of dollars and squillions of people and this we can't get over this like we got Phil in here like we can't solve this without paying a dude 40 grand a month a month Look, uh, I know we got to go real quick. DJ called the moose. He's yeah. going to do tomorrow. So if you'll give him a shout after the show, number two, community quick hits is yours if you want it because there's so much to unpack here. I agree, and I am happy to continue. I'll talk about Metallica d- all the way through the top ten. So, dude, it's all yours. Let's go. Let's uh, go. Let's uh, keep doing it next. Five fifty six here on the hard line. We are smack dab in the middle of the power hour, which means we are smack dab in the middle of talking about some kind of monster. Yeah, the documentary of the month that Bob has seen a billion times. First time for me. I'll tell you this: I couldn't get enough of it. Um, I started it, not really knowing what I was getting into because I'd heard so much about it in the past. But I didn't really. The vibe of it wasn't what I expected. I didn't expect this to be a, a, a film about a band that was about to break up, that's in the middle of recovery, that hires a, a life coach to guide them through their uh, their troubles. And and guys, you know, from a band like Metallica, it's weird because I don't have any of their albums, but it's one of the few bands out there, you know, that I know every member's name, mm-hmm. past and present. It's just they have made such a huge mark on the music world, you can't get away from that. And so it was kind of cool to see him up close and personal, not knowing very much about him. But, dude, Lars Ulrich, the scene of Lars Ulrich, where they cut away somewhere in the middle of this this movie to document him selling his art. 
And this is where I feel that it's one thing to sit there and... and you think sh- that's metal? Oh, my God, dude. It's not very common, man. It's not. And look, these again... He's got his white wine. And when you're worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, you, you do whatever in, you... And you also end up running in those circles. You do. Yeah. You can do whatever you want with your dough. I don't have any problem with that. But and, to, and he's a businessman at heart. He is. Trust me, he's a much businessman. He's a much better businessman than he is a drummer. But to show all this, like, that's the thing. The amount of stuff that they just peel the the, the onion back and, and, and you, you see the inside of it. And I'm like, why is Lars Ulrich allowing you to see a, a Christie's auction in which... Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of art are sold, all while he's sipping white wine. And keep in mind, high fiving. He just took on the world about Napster, and uh, and which which at the time certainly made uh, the rank and file plebes out there that just wanted to get music for free feel like uh, you know why are you stealing from us? And and I'm not saying he didn't have a point. Of course, he had a point. Napster was stealing a lot of money from a lot of artists, but maybe don't show them <laughs> how much money you have as you are claiming uh, that you've been ripped off. Oh, right? my God. Because it, you think the average guy who buys Metallica albums is uh, worried that Lars's artwork is not worth uh, the $5 million they thought they were going to get? It's only got four? Dude, <laughs> the amount of dough that he raked in off that, too, it was unbelievable. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, really? And he's just hammered watching it and laughing, you know, and he's wearing his suit and he's with his wife and they're toasting. And Who did that cartoon with Big James Hetfield? Lars <laughs> Ulrich, oh, where they're yeah. making fun of him. Mm, like, money oh, good. Money good. Give me money. <laughs> I want to say something real quick. I know we have a, yes, a mountain of audio to get to, but yeah. the, going back to the life coach, counselor, therapist, psychiatrist, whatever you want to call that guy. I understand why they were willing to pull back the curtain as far as they did and as far as their interaction with one another, their grievances with one another, the pain that they had, James's rehab, because in the spirit, in rehab, in rehab slash therapy, there is a spirit of, oh gosh, transparency and accountability. That is very important for you to be, be, you're very honest and you're accountable when you're wrong. And I do respect them for not putting on airs and allowing themselves to be vulnerable and be exposed as far emotionally exposed as they were. I thought that was a wonderfully unique part of it. I will say that dude is a hack. If any of you have ever spent any time in, in therapy or counseling whatsoever, if that guy had been my therapist after maybe session two, I would have fired his ass it, because he inserted himself into the narrative yes. way too much. He tried to he tried to assume control way too much. I saw him put words in people's mouths and even challenged at some point by Lars. I remember if I remember correctly, yeah, for sure, when they were interviewing uh, uh, Robert for for the bass player position, um, the guy it, it was the classic classic example of a therapist overreaching and overstating. Stepping, and he had no business with his skill set to do what he was doing with them and for them and make the kind of money that he was getting paid. Man, I agree. I, I, I thought his main goal was to remain um, on retainer with them for as long as possible or remain at their beck and call because that keeps him ringing that 40000 yeah. a month. It, it, 
it felt, and I'm positive therapy is very important for a lot of people in a lot of situations, but that one, it did seem like he was efforting to ask questions that were completely open-ended in the sense that we were going to go deeper and deeper into these rabbit holes, and therefore, uh, as James pointed out as the film is ending, do, do you think you're a member of Metallica, basically? Yeah. Because James was the only one who uh, had had it. He always had it with this guy. This was kind of Lars' idea, it appeared. And that's, you know. Although in the middle of it, James was like, and this is right after he got out of rehab, he was like, you know, Phil's kind of like the father that I never had. <laughs> right. And, like he was kind of into him. It's, it's, uh, just a bizarre thing. So for everyone who hasn't seen this to kind of get a feel for things, you have to hear some of the bickering. Now, this is what's great about it. They seem to give us all sorts of stuff. I assume there are fights that this band has had that are way worse than this stuff. But uh, it starts with just the passive poking at each other. And I think this first uh, cut here that I want to play for you is when they're all sort of going at each other's parts in the band and talking about how it's regular, it's stock, it's uh, ordinary. And they're trying to figure out how can we not play the same songs and I think it's your fault, you know. And so as the movie goes on, they basically take guitar solos from poor Kirk because he's the one that they can bully. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Lars is going at the lead guitar or the, or the, uh, or the bass line or whatever. And, uh, James doesn't like how the drums are. And it's, it's, it turns into a fight. So that was totally weird for me. You hear uh, that, Bob? Why don't you try getting a more, Solid beat. Regular? Oh, well, you call it regular. You call it regular. No, I'm trying not to call it regular, because I know it bugs you when I call it regular. So a little more solid, then. Maybe we should talk about next week. Well, all next week is therapy. Yeah. Do we have to do that? Can we sack Phil? I mean, we've got to find... We've got to find a balance to not... You know, the Phil stuff's important. And I hope we all feel that that's an investment in the music. It's an important part of the record. Okay, so it gets it, it's starting to escalate there. And uh, he's trying to say just play the drums and don't go free form on the drums because it all just sounds like noise now and as a musical person please uh correct me if i'm wrong on that's that's my interpretation is it did sound like guys playing three different songs at the same time and uh, here's where it really boils over Confusing sound. It's just jacking the vocals all up. Alright, so, I'm sorry. I, I cut that a little too short, but it's, uh, uh, Kirk just finally says, it's really too busy sounding, which is, which is a nice way of saying the sucks, I think. It's just real confusing sound. It's confusing. just jacking the vocals all up. I mean, I mean, it's clever and everything, but. I mean, I don't see what it does to it. I think that's that's how you hear it, dude. I mean, that's fine. I'm just trying to do something different. I mean, I'm I'm used to having the drummer do the beat part. <laughs> you know what I mean? Holding it together. Um, what I'm hearing is. Let me choose my words carefully here. That okay. 
that right there is the most passive aggressive thing in the film, probably, where he's like, he wants to say something right back to James. But let me choose my words carefully here, and then I'm going to let you have it. Yes. Choose my words carefully here. Um, it's pretty straightforward. And you know, the guitar, it's you know, it's a little stock. So I started trying to introduce some kind of edge to it from the drums. Those things we throw out to each other are complete bullshit. You know, it sounds too stock. It sounds too normal to me. That I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're saying that. So you can get your point across about doing a drum beat. I mean, you know, it doesn't hold any water to you. It doesn't. I think it's stock. What? Which part of that is unclear to you? I think it sounds stock to my ears. I mean, you want me to write it down? I yeah, think well, yeah, it, I feel it stock, I I okay? So I... No, when you say, you're telling me what to play right now. You're telling me, you should play with what Kirk's doing, and I'm telling you it's stock. Dude, fine. You know what, guys? Why don't we just go in there and just hammer it down, right? Kirk. Instead of hammering on each other. I mean, we're in <laughs> moods, and we're not going to get well, in. All you want to do is pick today. a fight, and you know, I don't want to pick a fight. This is so silly. You're just sitting there going, "I'm in a really pissy mood," and and I <laughs> told you straight up that I was right. And what are you trying to do? I'm not trying to do. <laughs> you're just sitting here being a complete. You're you're really helping matters. You're really good at that. I was straight up with you, and I told you I'm in a mood. And what have you been doing? Picking at me all night. Come on, guys. We got better things to do. Yeah, I do. Poor poor Kirk. He has to listen to mom and dad just fight and fight. And I love that guy. I oh. love that guy. He of of uh, he's so meek, the oh. most lovable human being, though. Yeah. Sounds like Pete Stanton. with the possible, oh, yes, yeah, with the possible exception, like Robert Trujillo, who they also hired, yeah, who is too. another sweetheart. Yeah. And so they're trying to surround themselves with but, really sweet dudes who won't pick fights. Like Hammett got clean, I guess, a couple of years prior. He turned to surfing as far as like his new muse to take the place of drinking and. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got his ranch in Northern California where he's up there riding horses. And he just seems like such a guy that's got great center and good energy. And, yes, he's dealing with these two <laughs> alphas. Jerks, it's, man. It's peak Shaq and Kobe. Isn't oh, it? they're such jerks. And how many times in this doc did we just see Hetfield get up, walk out, and <laughs> slam the door? Yep. And that was the and then scene. Yes. And I will tell you, if somebody tells you what you're playing is stock, that's not a compliment. No! It's basically you're saying that's the most basic bitch thing that you could play right. that you just pulled out of a pile of riffs and it's just the most generic, simple, boring thing. Right. Right. And they're all megastars in the biggest band in the world at the time, probably. And they're, yes, they're all telling each other that you are playing the most ordinary thing we can think of. Now, before uh, we, we turn the page on this particular theme, I think it's important here because Lars is the king of the universe. Just ask him, right? Till his dad comes to town. Wow. And there's a backstory on his dad that I didn't even know about. And and uh, if, if you want to inject that in a second, please do. Mm-hmm. But Lars's dad does look like Gandalf, but with a baseball hat on. Still alive, by the way, at 92. And Lars wants him to hear this 
instrument stew, Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all these guys kind of doing their whole, whole thing, and they think they have a song, and they think this could even lead the album. But let's let Dad hear it, because Dad's got a good ear for these things, and this might be the best part of the entire film. Comments on that one? I would say, you know, if, if, if you said, if you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know for you guys. For, for me, it, it doesn't cut it, you know. I really, I, I really don't think so. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really don't think so. Could you imagine? That's a seventy-five-year-old man that you yeah. just play metal to that you trust implicitly. That the relationship between Lars and his father is so weird. He won't tell him he loves him. Mm-hmm. Like the therapist is like, just tell him what you would like to tell him right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, even they, they're like, I mean, they butt is he, heads. Is he from Holland? Uh, Denmark. 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 Okay. Yeah, the Danish. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And his, like, uh, if I would give you guys any advice, I would say delete, delete, that. delete that. Delete it. <laughs> and they did. Like he, he's like, yeah, my dad thinks it sucks. So I mean, he knows in a second. He can look through anything and tell me if something sucks. But he fears his father. His dad is a famous tennis player from Denmark, Correct. and to the tune of uh, like one, uh, maybe their most famous still. Wow. Uh, he didn't win any majors or anything like that, but he played in Wimbledon and all those tournaments, and uh, was the oldest Davis Cup player in the history of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And, like he's a legend right. over there. And little Lars still looks at him that way. Oh, yeah. Because when Lars he grew is a up, different guy around his dad. Yes, because yes. when he grew up, his dad was a god over there, and so he still sees him that way. Yeah. He, he's got the little guy syndrome, Lars, Lars. does. Yeah, as far as the shadow of his, of his father, and no amount of mega stardom for Metallica yeah. can compete with that, because that's that his father. Oh, yeah. His yeah. father knows all the tricks. Yeah, he's like, you ain't nothing, but kid. He's like, he's, like, he's like pressing his hands on his headphones, and he's listening carefully, and then he's like, Delete that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do one more. What the heck? Uh, we still have a little more audio, and uh, we still need the final analysis on uh, some kind of monster here on the ticket. Quarter after six here on the hard line. This is uh, the end of our Corby work week. Sad, isn't it? It is. It's tough. Danny and I will do the show tomorrow. We're very excited about the that. What the hell are we going to talk about? I don't know anything about sports. Uh, I mean, you know about Metallica. Maybe we'll just keep Four it going. Four hours of Some Kind of Monster too. So uh, <laughs> so we're talking about Some Kind of Monster, one of my favorite documentaries. It has... What's the noise? Oh, no. Okay. What is going on? Trey? It has... And Bob up. Oh. Well, let me plug it in. There you go. Uh, it has... I mean, it's... Certainly about Metallica, but I think it's about dudes getting older. I think it's about alphas, multiple alphas, one trying to give in to another or not. And uh, through it all, as they look back at this film themselves, because most of us can't believe it was made with guys this famous making them or allowing themselves to look this bad and for it to get out. Because I assume any band that's been around this long probably has to have multiple creative minds and they have to go to war but that's part of the creative process right i think absolutely I, i'll tell you what and you know james hetfield brought this up at some point he, he was go ahead trey sponsors the great great gorders airstream <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. start great, over three two and one the great gordo's airstream of dfw there you go. metallica it's good stuff uh Hetfield was talking about, though, um, how he regretted 
Not not that he was upset that his former bass player died in a car crash right. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He was upset that he died because the band wouldn't have the original core four all the way for 25 years or whatever, 30, 40 years, yeah. like like you too. You and, know, and I've always thought with you too. I'm like, man, I think those two guys never say anything. Like Adam and Larry. I, I assume. I, I don't know. I don't know how it works with all these bands, but I think there are some people that that know that they have it so good that what's the point? And more a lot of times that in a band like you two, and I'm not saying that that Adam and Larry aren't um uh super impactful and creative no. and contribute and often sometimes the guys that are in the shadows are the ones that really are driving the train like john paul jones was in led zeppelin I as mean, far as writing music and really adding more than yeah. just playing the instrument so and they're content it's the personality type they're content to just kind of i'm gonna let the game come to me and yes and i'm positive because we work in a business where the stakes are lower but maybe i'm a little more emotionally healthy than these other two knuckleheads well i mean i i, I think in this business i think in the mirror i can see that my my testosterone and my belief that i have the best way to do this has has varied over the years but it's definitely declined as i've gotten older and which probably means more secure it's not just an age thing it's probably success changes that a little bit and i don't think success is is a burden in most jobs i do think for metallica though there might that might have an opposite effect where being super successful makes them feel like they have to keep raising the stakes and keep exceeding a new bar. I I, I don't well, know, but I think all these personality things go in there together, and especially if you don't have a direct boss it's like, very, like we it, do, and I yeah. think that makes us all play nice. That's it, true. If you were in Metallica and you're your own boss, or you feel like the other guy's trying to be your boss, maybe it's totally even more. Um, Either it's self-regulated or it's not regulated at all. Well, bringing it back to sports, you think about it like this. I would think as Master of Puppets and maybe uh, the Black Album. Maybe let's just go with the Black Album. That was probably their most commercially successful record by a mile. Let's look at that as their championship. So anything you do after that, it may be really, really good. But if it doesn't sell as much, if the critics don't like it as much, then... Then you're going to be looked at as, oh, is this, they're on the decline. Oh, they're, they're, they're failing. They haven't hit the mark. Oh, they're losing their edge. The, it's mainly the fact that it's the critic, it's the critics that, that are, are the ones that can, can be divisive. Yeah. As far as, as far as your band, where you think you're making really good material. And look, not every album is going to connect with 20 million people. Right. It's just, not every season is going to end with you raising the Larry over your head. But you're still going to be able to, in their case, to go whenever, wherever they want and sell it out for however long they want. Absolutely. And that's the key for them, you know? I, I, I think in a weird way, this documentary makes them unlikable, but after watching it, Especially several times, I like them way more than I ever would have. Man, I love James Hetfield. I, I, I think he's great. Yeah, and, and I, and I agree with you. If I had to rank them, uh, Kirk's the best, and I, I like Hetfield. He's very likable. Lars is not as likable, but there's something obviously about him that, uh, that just kind of, represents everything Metallica's ever been, and therefore you can't get that mad at him. And then you watch him play a show, and you may suggest to me that technically there are a million drummers as talented, but, man, I've never seen anybody. 
I've never seen anybody expend so much energy at that point in their career that he does when he's playing drums for them in basically a pair of shorts, barefoot, shirtless, and just hammering it for what I thought was like 245 or something like that. It's I can't imagine Do what they play that, marathon shows? They yeah. Play those big yeah. Oh, the, shows? the one yeah. I saw at the AAC was, I mean, you're just watching and you're like, this is insane. Uh, hey, man, this for me, at the very least, I'm now interested in them. Musically. Yeah. I never thought I would say that about them. Wasn't that vibe at the end where they Holy were playing ecstasy, crap, ecstasy of Gold, is it what it's called? And it's a build up to right when they're about to start the concert. Like, you're like, I want to go to this concert right now. Let me go. This I mean, is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I, I, I just, you, you know, bands like that, you just don't know how big they are. And when you see them in that, in therapy sessions and with their families, and, and then at the end, they put them on stage yeah. and you're like, oh, Oh yeah! I wish to God that both of you could have seen them at Tarrant, uh, at Tarrant County, in nineteen eighty six, eighty five. I think it was eighty six. <laughs> opening imagine, up for dude. Ozzy, they were probably twenty three years old, and they walked out on stage and absolutely owned the entire arena. And I walked into that show and out. I left after they were done. Like I stayed for like five Ozzy songs, and I was like, "This is the most boring." Neutered. Was Mustaine in the band then? No, no. This was Cliff, but it was right before Cliff died. Okay. The original bass player. Um, so it was the the original original yeah, yeah. four from Kill 'Em All, Ride mm-hmm. the Lightning, and Master of Puppets. And oh my God, I it, my face felt like it was melted off, and I knew I was witnessing something as far as a live performance that I never had seen before, and I probably was never going to be able to 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 see a show that captured that type of unbridled fury and energy ever again and if you can see him i know it'll be nothing like it was in that setting but i'd love to go see him again and uh, me too. i'm sure it'd be really great to, oh, to yeah. go see these guys yeah, I, I think i saw him oh eight maybe were they here yeah. i don't know but like i'm gonna buy records i, I want to buy a record which i would never I, in a million years i can help I would buy metallica. let me help you okay okay w- help me help you i was All gonna right. say if, if you want to put a metallica spotify list together or something okay. i'd be very interested in that day okay I, i'd be happy because to do that but i don't know where to begin after the 25 most famous songs it, they've done. It, it'll it'll end for me after the black album because i can't tell you anything about saying anger or any of that other stuff i'd never listen the black to them. album right before saying anger yeah i think so or which one's uh nothing else matters on that's though. black is that album real? oh it is it okay. yeah well that's uh that's forever the 99 cup when song. did hetfield mm-hmm. cut his hair when did he go from long long to short like late 90s mid 90s i would say late mm-hmm. 90s but I, i'm Something guessing like that I just, uh, the, you know, they're the one band, and there are, you know, several bands They've like all this, cut their the, hair short at some point or another. Like, you know, whether it's the Stones or whether it's U2 or whether it's Metallica, there are very few bands that have been able to plow through all the different machinations of, this is cool now, well, this is cool now, this is cool now. They're, these bands, they don't care. They just keep doing their thing, go through all the phases, and they're still growing and bigger than ever. Yeah. I I, I, I thought about um, something that you guys might actually find somewhat amusing because I compared my Metallica fandom with somebody kind of like uh, how Tiger Woods and, and, and golf, you know, that annoyed yeah. you about me as I got into it. I was into Metallica, and I'm one of these guys, Danny, and, and you're going to think less of me when I say this. I doubt it. <laughs> I really like the S&M album. 
What's that one? The one they played with the San Francisco Symphony is oh, the yeah, one yeah. that. I, that's the one I really enjoy because it's not it's as so not them. It, yeah, and it, but it's awesome and it's alive and but it's it's at the musical pace I'm more interested in than two and when a half did that hours. Come out? Of, uh, it, Late, late 90s, I would say. They played like on a waterfront with the uh, San Francisco Symphony. And so it's it's way more melodic than Metallica hard driving Lars going nuts for two and a half hours. So this is this is their MTV unplugged yeah. version, well, which, you know which is more for the uh, <laughs> for the guy like me that, me that doesn't have full metal in me. It's funny because in the middle of this, they look at the, uh, after James gets out of rehab, they look at the dudes that are filming all this, and they ask, should we be doing this? Do we need to make this movie anymore? Because yeah. I don't see a point to it, you know? James especially. And James finally said, they were like, well, why did you want to do it in the first place? He's like, I don't know. It's just what you do. Or Metallica, and let's make him a movie. Right. You know, it's just what you do. It's You come up with different things. You go play with a, a symphony. Right. You go do this. You put the documentary out. It's what you do. They've all done this. Well, and they didn't go into the documentary saying, let's put a documentary out about us fighting. The documentary was, we're going to do another album, and here, we'll take you behind the scenes to see it, and this happened. Yeah. Because they thought this was a good idea with a therapist and with a film crew and just all that. I have to play... One last piece of yes. audio. Play as now, much as you want. This is probably uh, going out of order a little bit, um, and we'll leave one or two, and maybe uh, if you want to visit about this tomorrow, we, we uh, you know what? Screw it. We'll play both of them. Here we go. Uh, this is the first one uh, feel- that is insane because James is back from a rehab. He can only go four hours a day, and you're thinking, okay, well, we'll work around that. No, 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 no. All of us can only go four hours a day. So he's telling the rest of the band, hey, I know you can't do anything until we get an album done at anything involving Metallica, but at 4 o'clock, we all leave because I don't want you guys listening to music without me. And think about how insane that sounds. Here it is. I feel like the bad guy saying, I got to go because it's 4 o'clock. If we all know, and we all do know, that 4 o'clock is kind of the stop time, and I don't know, then I won't feel like, the heel here saying, I got to go eat dinner with my kids, you know, because I have a feeling, you know, I'm going to walk out of here and you guys are going to go in there and listen to this stuff. And it's like, that's not right. That's yeah, not. I mean, if I want to listen to it, I'm going to listen to it. But we should at so least listen to it. Stop early. Right, but I know you'll sit there and start talking with Bob. Maybe Bob doesn't want to sit in there. And when I'm gone, things get talked about and then decisions are made. And I feel I walk into something that's already kind of decided. And it's a total uphill battle for me a lot of times. I don't like that feeling. Well, that's like just like the last 15 years. Yeah. For me. Well, let's talk about this. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Where Kirk is like, oh. You don't feel like you're in control? Yeah. Well, that's how my entire life has been. <laughs> well, that's like just like the last 15 years. Yeah. For me. Well, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about this tomorrow, then. Or, right. or do you want to take time out? No, I don't have time right now. Okay. Okay. Let's pass forward. Okay. So it's hard to introduce structure into this. Uh-huh. And I'm trying. So what do you think, Lars? Did you hear the song from yesterday? Did we all hear it together? How is that different? Because we all heard it together already. But what he wants to uh, be is was part I in there? everything. He wants you to be part of everything. We all heard it together. Okay. You came in. All right. As long as you don't talk about it. 
No, I mean, it's, it's, you know, is that a way around it, or is that just? That a, is definitely a way. Around. No, I, what, how about if we, is, how about we just save up the tension? Here's Phil. I mean, it's okay because it's good. Tension produces results. Shut up, Phil. Slams the door. Slams the door again. And walks out, and then Phil. Then maybe if a little stock is not the signature moment or delete that is not the signature moment, then this one would be, and we'll, we'll end with this. What is it? You have to- oh, Ty! Oh, you it. played the wrong one. I edited that. Ty? I did play the wrong one. Did you dump it? Yeah. Okay. We got it in we got it. And we dumped it. I caught it in time. That one's on me. That one's on totally on me. I said Ty. It was totally on me. Self-absorbed. And what makes it worse is that you always talk about you always talk about me. You use the word control and manipulation a lot. I think you control on purpose, and I think you control inadvertently. I think you control by the rules you always set. I think you control by how you always judge people. I think you control by your absence. I think you you control you control all this even when you're not here. I don't understand who you are. I don't understand the program. I don't understand all this stuff, okay? I realize now that I barely knew you before. And all these rules and all this man, this is a rock and roll band. I don't want rules. I understand that you need to leave at four. I respect it. Don't tell me I can't sit and listen to something with Bob at 4.15 if I want to. What the f*** is that? You know, I, I, I don't want to end up like Jason, okay? I don't want to be pushed away. I don't want it to happen twice. Let's do it and let's f- do it full on or let's not.